Welcome to the first episode of Getting Critical with Carolyn. This episode is adapted from a piece I wrote for class as an exercise in public scholarship, so it may sound a little bit scripted because I'm still learning how to be a podcaster. Please enjoy my reflection on the research ethics of the making of the podcast Ear Hustle. Hello, my name is Carolyn Robbins. I'm a PhD student at the University of Maryland in the communication department. I specialize in rhetoric and political culture, which basically means I study discourse, civic processes, politics, and the ways messages are used to persuade people. My research focuses on rhetorics of violence and mass incarceration. In order to understand today's podcast, you will actually need to listen to another podcast. It's episode 61 of Ear Hustle. Ear Hustle is one of my favorite podcasts. The phrase Ear Hustle is prison slang for gossip. The podcast is hosted by artist Nigel Poor and formerly incarcerated Erlon Woods. At the beginning of their podcast collaboration, Woods was still incarcerated and Poor would have to enter San Quentin State Prison to record with him. Partially due to his work on Ear Hustle, however, the governor of California commuted Erlon Woods' sentence a couple of years ago, and now he is a full-time Radiotopia employee. Woods and Poor frequently interview current and former inmates and their families. The podcast and or transcript is available to incarcerated folks throughout the California penitentiary system. This episode covers the August 21st, 1971 murder of San Quentin inmate George Jackson and the ensuing violence. You can find a link to it in the show notes of my podcast. It's about 55 minutes long and it's an easy listen for your drive while cooking dinner, going for a walk, etc. Go ahead and listen. I'll wait right here for you to get back. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed listening to Ear Hustle, and I encourage you to listen to more episodes in the future. Now, before I get into my thoughts on this, I just want to make it clear that I'm a huge fan of Ear Hustle, and I have major respect for the work that the Radiotopia team does to make the show happen. Now, while my podcast is going to be critical of Ear Hustle, I believe that criticism is an act of care, and that the Ear Hustle team has likely engaged in similar criticism through the development of the podcast over the years. Now, I chose this episode, episode 61, specifically because I was shocked that the San Quentin officials allowed Radiotopia to release it, especially considering its availability to incarcerated people. Now, as noted in the episode of Ear Hustle, George Jackson's life, death, and beliefs are heavily censored in prisons even today. While the hosts discuss Jackson's general theoretical and political beliefs, they do not discuss his abolitionist ideals. Now, given this context, I want to talk through some ethical questions that came up for me about the making of Ear Hustle. So while Erlon Woods is a black man who spent many years incarcerated at San Quentin, Nigel Poor is a white woman who works as an artist and podcast host. She established a relationship with Woods by volunteering at San Quentin. However, she's never been incarcerated. These observations brought up this first set of questions for me. So in producing public-facing projects such as Ear Hustle, what responsibilities do researchers have in terms of consideration of the communities they discuss, and how does this look different for Woods versus Poor? So as a white woman who, like Nigel Poor, wants to do work that contributes to the well-being of incarcerated folks and question the carceral system as a whole, these are important questions for me to consider. As my colleague Divine Aboji points out, one of George Jackson's central ideas can actually help us answer these questions. Um, Divine paraphrases Jackson's philosophy as follows. 
one cannot understand the prison system superstructure until one appreciates how racism, classism, capitalism, etc. conjoin to keep the superstructure in place. So as a researcher, I have a responsibility to, well, do my research. I have to have an intimate understanding of the insidious beast that is the prison industrial complex in order to do this work ethically and thoroughly. Another colleague of mine, Daviana Fraser, said, I do think that researchers should ask themselves what they gain from exploring a community outside of their own, especially when that community is marginalized. The difference between Woods and Poor is that Woods does not need Poor to tell this story. Now, this question of personal gain that Daviana brings up is such an important one. As researchers, we put in so much labor to create our work. This labor is skilled and provides value to others, and therefore it should be compensated. On the other hand, however, there's a fine line between amplifying a marginalized community and speaking over that community in pursuit of personal gain. I believe that Nigel Poor does a good job of using her privilege to amplify the voices of incarcerated folks without being extractive or exploitative. And this brings me to my next set of questions. So in the podcast, Woods and Poor include the perspective of a guard who worked at San Quentin at the time of Jackson's murder. He discusses the emotions and reasoning behind the officer's brutalizing of the inmates in the wake of the uprising, and Poor mentions that she, quote, sympathizes with him. Do researchers have an ethical obligation to present all sides of the story in public-facing work in order to eliminate bias? And would they have presented this story the same way if they didn't need Lieutenant Robinson's approval? And would the ethics of the project change if the podcast were not circulated within the penal system? So as a researcher and a college instructor, I face the question of context and research all the time. My students frequently talk about the need to eliminate bias, do your own research, and hear all sides of the story. So while there is a certain amount of context that is necessary to make any argument, neutrality is impossible. In cases such as the George Jackson murder, an attempt to present all sides of the story in an unbiased way only serves to uphold the status quo and further marginalize incarcerated folks due to what my colleague Kristen Washington refers to as, quote, the uncritical allegiance to institutions held by those with the privilege to benefit from those institutions. Being critical is key. Being unbiased is both impossible and unjust. As a researcher, especially as a white woman who researches mass incarceration, I have a moral duty to critique systems of power. That's what research does. Research is a critical process and research is a skill. Telling people to just do their own research is not helpful. One thing I find with a lot of students actually is that the use of this phrase or this idea of do your own research, um, they're parroting it, right? Because they've heard it in political discourse and they've heard it as a response to polarization with things like Black Lives Matter, with the COVID vaccine, um, with the 2020 election, right? All of these major policy issues that are going on right now. But what students don't seem to understand is that when they use that phrase at the end of a presentation of their own research, they're actually hedging their argument and undermining their own research. Because as I've mentioned, research is a skill and research is a critical process. So after doing our research, we can present opinions and those opinions might be considered biased, but that bias is based in consulting with the experts and doing this research and figuring out the answers and figuring out the truth. It's not just an unfounded opinion. And that's the difference research makes. That's why it matters. That's why this critical process is so necessary to democracy and civic engagement and to things like making a podcast that's a public facing project. 
So while it is, you know, contextually helpful to present as many perspectives on the argument as are present and relevant to whatever you're talking about, I don't have to and shouldn't present them as equally valid, logical, or ethical in my research. I can talk about all sides of the issue. I can talk about all these different arguments that exist, but I don't have to present them as equal in an attempt to be unbiased. Because being unbiased in that sense of the word is upholding existing power structures that marginalize the groups I am trying to help. When Nigel shared that she felt sympathy for everyone involved, including the officers, I cringed. The reason that this comment made me cringe was because, you know, like, yes, that was probably a really terrifying and difficult situation for that officer to be in, but he chose it. I mean, that was his job. He signed up for that. And she's also saying this on a podcast where not only is her co-host somebody who spent decades behind bars, but so much of her audience is currently behind bars and is just absolutely tortured by correctional officers day in and day out. Um, There's tons of data to back up this fact that correctional officers are extremely violent toward prison inmates. Um, And so just imagining her audience hearing that uh, is upsetting, especially because this podcast has been such such a, a light to these people. You know, they read fan mail all the time where incarcerated people basically just say thank you for seeing us and thank you for humanizing us. And so I felt like this emphasis on feeling sympathy with um, with the officer kind of undid a little bit of that work in a way. Um, because usually, to the credit of Ear Hustle, they usually do such a great job of emphasizing the experience of the incarcerated people and helping us to sympathize with them and um, to, to see them as people. And so um, that was why that was upsetting to me. And, um, you know, I just think Nigel is usually better than that. And it also sounded to me in Erlon's voice that he was hurt by that comment as well. Now, I want to be charitable here. And, you know, at the same time, I do realize that she and Erlon are beholden to Lieutenant Robinson's approval since he is the public information officer for the prison. And the Ear Hustle podcast was originally recorded within the prison and is now distributed through the penal system, even internationally, but definitely still within San Quentin. So I understand that there is an obligation there and that there's a tradition there with the podcast of getting Lieutenant Robinson's approval and that they need that approval to reach their target audience of incarcerated folks. While they could still reach a public outside of the prison, this podcast has become really important to folks inside the prison. So it's important that um, they continue to get Lieutenant Robinson's approval. Um, And we know that prisons are a major site of censorship. So there are definitely restrictions on what they can say on your hustle. All that to say, I still think that the equal treatment and even favoring of the officer's point of view was not necessary. And that is my critical take on this episode. However, I did still very much enjoy it. I am still a huge fan of the podcast. I listen to every episode and I have so much respect for the work that Nigel Poor and Erlon Woods and the whole Radiotopia team and the Ear Hustle team specifically do to make this podcast happen. Well, this brings us to the end of the episode. I've been your host, Carolyn Robbins. Thanks for listening. 
special thanks to Madison Russell for the cover art for my podcast, to Dr. Catherine Knight-Steele for being open to this podcast as a final project, and to the tech team at McKeldin Library at the University of Maryland for access to this sweet podcasting equipment. Getting Critical with Carolyn is written, edited, produced, directed, and hosted by Carolyn Robbins. That's me.